The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. From Hollywood, the Hollywood Radio Theater. Starring Ronald Reagan, Wendell Corey, and Gene Hagen in Carbine Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, your producer, Mr. Irving Cummings. Greetings from Hollywood, ladies and gentlemen. In tonight's play, besides telling the story of a wife's devotion to her husband, even under seemingly hopeless conditions, we will present an engrossing study taken from the lives of two men in Carbine Williams. One is an embittered prisoner. The other an exacting officer of the law. But eventually, each has an unexpected influence upon the other. And as our stars of this inspiring drama for Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, we have three outstanding artists, Ronald Reagan, Wendell Corey, and lovely Jean Hagen. Now, Act One of Carbine Williams, starring Ronald Reagan as David Marshall Williams, Wendell Corey as Captain Peoples, and Jean Hagen as Maggie Williams. March 1951 issue of Reader's Digest published an article in its series, The Most Unforgettable Character I've Met. That character is David Marshall Williams. This is his story. It is told by a man named Captain People. A few years ago, a man suddenly left his work in the Winchester Repeating Arms Company in Connecticut and rushed home several hundred miles away to the small community of Godwin, North Carolina. Marsh, oh, Marsh, it's so good to have you home again. I've missed you, Maggie. Missed you terribly. Thanks for phoning me. Where is he? Where's David? Well, he went out. I see. Just didn't want to be around, huh? It's like I told you, dear. At the moment, it may not be anything too serious, but the kids at school are giving him a pretty bad time. I... I always felt we should have told him. Yes, I know you did. I guess I made a mistake. And now it's up to us to undo it. I've started to tell him several times, Maggie, but well, I knew I'd give myself the best of it. That's no good. Marsh, 
Do you want me to tell him? No. Before I left Connecticut, I called Captain Peoples. Oh? Cap will give it to David straight, without any frosting on it. He's coming here, Captain Peoples? No. It'll be better if David goes there. If he sees the prison. I'll take him there in the morning. Whatever you say, dear. It's not going to be easy, Maggie. Not for any of us. But I guess it's the only way. going, Dan? Well, it's a fine day for hunting, son. I thought we'd hunt some quail. Only first, we've got to make a stop. I don't feel much like hunting. I, uh, I hear you lost a fight at school while I was up north. That's right. Can't win them all. No, you, you can't win them all. David. A little later, they were both in my office in Central Prison. The boy was puzzled and a little frightened. This is Captain Peoples, David. He's my best friend. Hello, David. This is a pleasure I've been waiting for for a long time. Now, if you'll excuse me, I think I'll have a look around. Where are you going? Now, don't worry, son. I'll be right outside. Captain Peoples wants to talk to you. About what? He'll tell you. David, come over here to the window. Now, look out there. All those men. They're convicts, huh? Yeah, all kinds of men, David. Murderers, thieves, but they're not all bad men. Some are hardened criminals. Others have made only one mistake. My my father? Yes. Your father was in this prison before you were born. What for? He was convicted of killing a man. I'm going to tell you the whole story, David, just the way it happened. I think you're old enough to judge for yourself. Though I wonder if any boy can really know his father. I can try. Oh, I wasn't thinking only of you, son. I was thinking of your dad when he was a boy. There were times, I think, when he didn't understand his father either. You see, your father was always a rugged individualist. You know what that is? Yes, sir. I, I think so. Well, that's not an easy thing to be in a family of 11 children. He always wanted to stand alone on his own. And I guess he did. You know he quit school and joined the Navy. But after a couple of hitches, he found out he wasn't for the Navy. And vice versa. that you come back, son, and I'm glad. The Williamses belong on this land. By the way, Papa, I changed my mind about the Navy, but I haven't changed my mind about Mary and Maggie. Well, that's in the future, Marsh. Well, if you call next week the future, yes, I guess it is. We're going to set the date when I go over to see her in the morning. Next week? Well, Marsh, you can't even support yourself, let alone a wife. Well, you always said I'd be getting my share of the farm. You'll get your share when you've earned it. You said one-eighth of the farm is mine. You'll get your 400 acres, same as your brother's, by working for it. You're no better than they are, Marsh. I never said I was better. I said I was different. You're going to work a share for two years, Marsh. Then if all goes well, it's yours. I ain't going to wait around for two years to marry Maggie. Two years, or you get no share. Then keep the share. Divide it up with the others. I don't want it. <laughs> The next morning, your dad went to call on his best girl. Took his rifle along. He loved hunting. Almost everywhere he went, he carried a rifle with him. So it was pretty logical that he'd take Maggie walking through the woods. I told you I hit it. Look here, see? You never see a nicer bird than this. Marsh, will you listen to me now? Will you put down that gun and listen to me? I'm listening, honey. Well, all, all I want to tell you is that before we go and get married, we have to be sure. Well, you can't be sure of nothing unless you try. 
Everybody else is sure. About us, I mean. They're sure it won't work. Your folks, too, huh? Mm-hmm. They think you're irresponsible. They don't know me, Maggie. My own dad, he don't even know me. Well, that doesn't matter. The important thing is, do we know each other? I can't remember when I didn't know you. That was his children. Marsh? Yeah? When does a person stop being a child? You mean me? Sometimes I wonder. Maybe you'll never stop. Do you ever think of that? Sure, I've thought of it. That's the reason I run away from home. I wanted to stay young inside, but they wouldn't let me. Go to school, chop cotton. Things like that can age a man. And, uh, hunting doesn't? Uh-uh, no. Fishing neither. Sooner or later, you have to grow up, though, and, and be somebody. Uh, you have to be yourself, Maggie. A man's just like a stalk of corn. At a certain age, he tassels out, not before. Nosh, are you sure you want to get married? I told you we'd get married just as soon as I got home. I always keep my promise. If you say when. I ain't a promise unless you say when. I'm not holding you to it, Marsh. Don't make no difference. I'm holding you. Marsh? Marsh, there's another quail up there. Let him be. When it comes to kissing you or shooting a quail, well, it ain't an easy decision, honey, but I sort of favor you. Uh-huh. Well, come on now. Let's get over to Fayetteville and get out that light. Well, they got married, David, and both families turned out in full force, forgetting their objections and wishing them well. Not long after, your dad went to work for the railroad, 40 cents an hour working on the tracks with a sledgehammer. One of the other laborers was a man named Stockton. One day after work, he took your dad to a remote spot near the woods. Well, here they are, Marsh, the fellows I've been telling you about. This is Redrick Carson, my brother-in-law, and this here is Sam Markley. Evening. Come on the barn. Glad to know you, Williams. Bill's been telling me you'd like to earn a little extra money. You got something I can do? I hear you know a little about boilers. Boilers? Sure, I worked on boilers in the Navy. Boilers, guns, motors. I can handle most anything mechanical. That's a boiler over there, huh? What do you use it for? <laughs> Ain't you got any suspicions, Marsh? Well, it kind of looks to me like a still. Why didn't you say so? It ain't no secret, is it? <laughs> well, making stills is considered illegal in some parts. What do you get for a kettle like that? Nothing compared to the dough they make out of them. They're getting 20 bucks a gallon down at Fort Bragg for creosote. Mm. Looks like you fellas are in the wrong end of the business. You wouldn't be aiming to get on the right side, would you? Well, if I ever do, I'll make the best corn whiskey in North Carolina. You, Marsh? Your daddy will never hold still for no son of his in the blockade whiskey business. Ain't nothing in the Bible against distilling whiskey. Your father's a law-abiding man. Moonshine's against the law. Well, you tell me what the difference is between distilling whiskey and making the boilers to distill it in. <laughs> well, that's a good question, Marsh. Yes, sir. That's a mighty good question. So they built a still out in the woods, David. According to your dad, they didn't make the most whiskey in North Carolina, but he sure tried to make the best. There was just one thing about it. He couldn't bring himself to tell your mother. Marsh? Sorry I'm so late, honey. It's all right, Marsh. I'm getting used to it by now. I held supper. I got myself another raise, Maggie. Here, put this money in with the rest. Oh, Marsh, that's wonderful. Oh, it ain't so much. Not much. Your third raise in six months, and you say that's not much? Pretty soon you'll be president of that railroad. Well, vice president, anyway. Only, when are they going to take you off that section, gang? 
Pretty soon now, I expect, only... Uh... Only what, dear? Well, only I don't figure I'm cut out for railroading, honey. I've had my eye on that Doug Smith farm for a long time. Things keep up, first thing you know, we can make a down payment on it. Oh, I was hoping you'd say that, Marsh. You want it very much, don't you? Well, it's for you too, Maggie. I'm happy anywhere, as long as we're together. Living in a decent house ain't going to make us unhappy, is it? No, Marsh, only, only just don't rush things. There's time. There's never enough time. You can have enough of everything else. Enough food, enough land, even enough money. But you can never have enough time. Because that's the only thing you can't save. You know, when I hear you talk like that... What's that? It's from next door, the Gregory's. It's Sue. No! No! Sue? Oh, Maggie! It's Frank! He's been killed! Marsh, those men... You keep out of this, son. Put on your rifle. Who are you? Federal Revenue Agent. What happened to Frank Gregory? Same thing that's likely to happen to any moonshiner who takes a shot at a local deputy. Frank never hurt anybody. He was a good man. I wasn't even on the raid, but I know he operated a still. That was his first mistake. He pulled a gun on Venner here. That was his last mistake. Since when do they kill a man for making moonshine? Since when do you carry a gun if you don't intend to use it? You're on my property. Get off. Any deputy steps on my property looking for trouble, he's got to find it. Well, he better not find a still. It's a federal offense, and you know it. All right, boys, let's go. Was he, Marsh? Was Frank in the blockade whiskey business? I... I don't know, Maggie. Sue, that poor girl. I better go and see what I can do. Another still? That'll make the fifth. Five, six, seven, just as many as I can count. North Carolina's had prohibition for 150 years, Carson. Nobody ever got hurt. Most could happen. You get 30 to 60 days. Well, they better not come around here. This is my corn, my mash, my business. Just as long as I make good whiskey. Marsh! Marsh! You better get over here! Deputies? No, it's a still. Something's plugged up. It's going to explode. <laughs> The still didn't explode, David. But in saving it, your father got pretty badly burned. They brought him home. It was then that your mother found out. I was going to tell you, Maggie. Honest, I was. As soon as I saved enough money for that down payment. How could you do it, Marsh? Didn't Frank Gregory getting killed mean anything to you? Marsh, I didn't marry a criminal, and I'm not staying married to one. You've got to get out of it. All right. All right, I'll, I'll quit. When? Well, let's talk about it later. Honey, I'm tired. Marsh, I'm going after a doctor. No, no, I'll be all right. Just just let me sleep. I'll be all right. We'll be ready to run off a sample in about ten minutes, Marsh. I said we'll I be... heard you. Your wife minds you running whiskey, Carson. I never asked. You having trouble at home? Maggie just don't understand that there's a natural right to things and there's a legal right. Well, the law says it ain't natural to be thirsty. Well, just saying I don't make it so. They tell me that up in... What's the matter? Don't turn around. There's men back there, back of the trees. Back up. You go first. Don't start running. Until... Don't move, Williams. Get your hands up, all of you. You boys destroy the still. 
Don't come no closer. This here boiler's private property. You're under arrest, Williams, for violating the 18th Amendment. That's to warn you, Rimmer. Yes. Williams. Williams, this is your last warning. Call your men off and come out with your hands up. We're taking you alive or dead. It's up to you. Who is it? Stop or I'll fire. Marsh? Oh, Maggie, God, help me. I might have shot you. There's been enough shooting for one day. You heard about the raid? Well, I'm here. I'd have been here sooner. These woods, I got lost in the dark. Anybody see you come? Nobody ever knew about this place but us, Marsh. You always came here when you were in trouble. I was hoping you'd remember. There's nothing about us I could ever forget. Marsh, you shouldn't have run away. You spent five or six weeks in jail? Not me. I'm staying in these woods till the thing blows over. Blows over? Don't you know? Know what? The federal agent, Rimmer. He's dead. Dead? No. No, I didn't know. Here, here, you take this. Money? What for? From your father. He asked me to bring it to you. He isn't against me? He's for you, Marsh. He and your mother, they think you ought to get out of the country right away. And what do you think? What I think isn't important. It's what you feel. What I feel. The whole world never looks so good. Things never seem so bright as when you're in bad trouble. If, if you give yourself up, Marsh, I'll stand by you. Always. You think Pop's wrong, huh? I think a man must face up to things. All right. I'll turn myself in. Is that a promise? It's a promise. You, you go on home, honey. You tell my dad to get the high sheriff and meet me behind the railroad depot at Godwin. I'll be there by 11 o'clock tonight. I'll be there. Marsh. Oh, Marsh. Be all right, honey. Now, no more trouble. I'll give myself up. Our servicemen in Europe have a wonderful opportunity to observe new customs and traditions. And they're finding out that these ideas of other people aren't so strange after all. For instance, in almost every country, France, Spain, Scotland, the Scandinavian countries, Germany, Greece, Austria, there are special celebrations on the 24th of June every year. This is known as Midsummer's Day, and it's marked by music, dancing, and bright costumes. At night, huge bonfires are built, and the merriment continues. This same day is also celebrated in North Africa and in Japan. Well, in our country, we pay no special attention to the 24th of June, but we have more so-called holidays than any other country in the world. Hardly a day in the year goes by without some special attention to it. In addition to the national holidays, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Fourth of July, Labor Day, and so on, every state has its own founding day. We have a day for fathers, mothers, and even mothers-in-law. We have a Be Kind to Animals Week and Eat More Frankfurters Day. We plant trees on Arbor Day, send love notes on Valentine's Day, close the bars on Election Day, and keep them open an hour longer when daylight saving ends. We honor the birthdays of Washington and Lincoln. We mourn the passing of our friends with the Memorial Day. Yes, like all countries, we set aside special days for special consideration. True enough, the way in which we celebrate them may be different, the ideals are the same. 
These things that have become customary and traditional are important to the people who follow them. And our servicemen are helping to maintain goodwill by observing the customs of other people in other lands. Now, our producer, Mr. Cummings. Act two of Carbine Williams, starring Ronald Reagan as Marsh, Wendell Corey as Captain Peoples, and Gene Hagen as Maggie. They charged your father with murder, David, and brought him to trial. It was the local deputy who gave the most damaging testimony when he told of the night in front of Frank Gregory's house. Then Williams came over and warned us. He was carrying a rifle. He said, any deputy ever steps on my property looking for trouble, he's going to find it. When did you next see the defendant? On July 23rd, the day he killed Jesse Rimmer. Objection, Your Honor! Objection! There's been absolutely no proof. I always thought your dad could have put up a better case for himself, David. But he never thought there was any real likelihood he'd ever be convicted. Now then, Williams, you knew you were violating the 18th Amendment, didn't you? I never considered the 18th Amendment a law. When I look around at this here room, Ed, I see I ain't the only one. You heard your own friends, your own men, Carson, Stockton, Markley, and all the others, practically accuse you of murder. Well, it could be just as easy for me to turn right around and say that one of them was guilty. You also heard Venner testify that he saw you kill Rimmer. Why, with all that shooting going on, I can't see how anyone can be sure what gun any of the bullets was being fired from. You were the best shot there. Oh, I don't know about that now, Ed. I remember you and me went hunting last spring. You got eight birds. I didn't get but three. (laughs) And so it went. By the time the trial ended, it appeared that the jury was just as confused as everybody else. They finally told the judge they were hopelessly deadlocked. What's going on, Andrew? I don't rightly know, Mr. Williams. I just asked the prosecution to meet with us in the conference room. Come on, Marsh, Maggie. We're going to talk things over. We've got to have a second trial. This thing has got to be settled somehow. Now, look, Claude, you know that a second trial will be a costly drain on the taxpayer's money. The government will be satisfied with a plea of guilty to a reduced charge of second-degree murder. No. Nothing was ever said in that courtroom to prove my boy was guilty. We want a second trial. But Marsh did threaten Rimmer, and an eyewitness swore he did the shooting. I couldn't shake either story. They couldn't prove them either. They might in a retrial. At least second degree eliminates the possibility of the electric chair. Where are we going to get the money to pay for a second trial? I'm selling a piece of the land, Marsh. Selling your land? How stiff a sentence will I get on second degree? Fifteen years. And with good behavior. Now, hold on. You're taking your orders from me, Andrew. And I say we have a second trial. Marsh, don't don't let your pride stand in your way again. Let your father do what he wants. It's only land. You can always pay back land. Your way, all of us will be paying. We'll we'll all be paying for years. It's my neck, Maggie, and my decision. Over your grandfather's protest. Your dad pleaded guilty, David, to second-degree murder. The judge set sentence for the following Monday morning. But when Monday came around, a different judge was on the bench. What's, what's going on? Where's the judge? I just found out about it. Someone else has taken his place. But why? No special reason, Claude. Federal judges rotate assignments. I don't... Hold on, now he's going to speak. I understand that the defendant has made an amended plea... 
of guilty to murder in the second degree. Is that agreed? Yes, Your Honor. The defendant? My client requests a postponement. No. No, Your Honor. I'm ready for sentence. Step forward, please. In accordance with the laws of the United States, I sentence you, David Marshall Williams, to imprisonment for a period of 30 years of hard labor. Thirty. Not fifteen. Thirty years at hard labor. The sheriff lets your dad come home for one last visit. They were all waiting out in the front yard at your grandpa's place. Well, Marsh, like I said, son, we, we'll all be... Well, it's hard to know what else to say when, when everything's been said. You know how he feels, Marsh. How all of us feel. Now you got to stop thinking about me. All of you. It's my problem. Well, we're your family, son. We'll never rest till you're back here with us. It's, it's me that's going, Ma. It ain't going to be easy. But I got to do it my own way. I don't want any of you to write to me or try to see me. Marsh? Maggie, let's not make things any tougher than they are. I talked to the lawyer. He's going to arrange for a divorce. A divorce? I'll never leave you. There isn't anything else to do. It's going to be a long time. I'll wait, no matter how long it is. But, Marsh, you've got to promise me something. Well? You mustn't try to escape. I'll do my time. You've got to promise me. I promise. You've got to promise something, too. Anything. If you change your mind, you go and see that lawyer, huh? I thought you said we shouldn't make it any tougher than it is. Hold me, Marsh. You you said you'd never stay married to a criminal. I'm a convicted murderer, Maggie. You're my husband. That's all I know. Thirty years. Goodbye, Maggie. The first weeks in prison are the worst, David. When a man realizes he's no longer free, that this is his home. Steel bars and concrete walls and guards with guns. That from now on, this is his world. Every convict takes prison differently. Each man fights it in his own way. I've seen a lot of men broken in prison. He can break a man's body. He can break a man's spirit. Or both. Shut up now! And stand at attention! Now, in case some of you don't know, you're now at the Caledonia Prison Farm. It's a lot better than the chain gang, but it's no country club. You'll find that out starting tomorrow morning. Meanwhile, the captain's got a word for you. My name's Peoples. Captain Peoples. I'm the law here. Now, you behave yourselves and you'll be treated square. Get out of line, try to escape, and you'll wish you never heard of me. Your bunks are over there. Now get moving. And every day, Marsh, every day I wake up hoping to hear from you. And when there's nothing, I come out here to the woods where I found you that night. Here I feel close to you. Here I can forget and, and remember. Oh, but... Please, Marsh, please write, even if it's only a few lines.
Well, boys, I called you together because I've got some good news. The State Prison Commission has given us permission to play a little baseball around here. Now, you do an honest day's work and behave yourselves, and you'll be allowed to play and watch the game. If you don't, you won't. There's another new directive. Once a year, a trustee gets 24 hours outside with his wife. What if he ain't got a wife? Well, you still get your 24 hours to find one, I guess. <laughs> don't you worry about it, Gabriel. You're never going to make trusty. <laughs> now, don't get any ideas I'm turning this place into a health resort. Whatever you've learned about discipline here still goes. And anytime any of you boys want to try out your knives against us, we'll be very happy... Williams, I didn't give you permission to leave the line. Well, I figured you'd said everything you had on your mind. There's room for only one self-minded man in this camp. That's me. You don't make a move around here unless I tell you to. Now, you can stand right where you are at attention all day. What's more, I notice you haven't been shaving lately. From now on, shave. Clean. Every morning. The rest of you dismissed. told you wanted to see me, Captain. Come in. Having trouble with your memory again, eh? Shaving? I can't scrape them any finer. I'm talking about mail. How did you months ago to write to your folks? I didn't know that was a law. Well, I didn't know that was anybody's concern but my own. When they keep writing to me wanting to know how you are, it gets to be my concern, too. I've got enough to do without answering your mail. Well, I ain't writing. You can't make me. Excuse me, Captain, about your rifle. I, I'm afraid I can't fix it, Cap. Here, let me see it again. Well, take it over to the shop. Yes, sir. Uh, that rifle. Uh, you mind if I look at it, Captain? You're nuts, Williams. Go ahead. Give it to him. Thanks. Okay, if I use that screwdriver? Take it. Bolt's out of place. All it needs is adjusting, I think. Let me see. Yeah, it'll work now. Yeah, pretty handy with a rifle, aren't you? I always have been. Yeah, they got you in a lot of trouble, too. Now, what about these? Letters? Yes, letters. Letters from your wife. Letters you refuse to open. How much longer are you going to fight this? I ain't fighting. I'm resisting. I told them to forget about me. They're worried. They got a right to hear from you. What'll I write about, Captain? About how nice it is in here? Write what you want, but write. They'll never get a letter from me with a prison postmark. They'll get letters. Lots of them. Now get back to your work. And keep shaving. <laughs> I was impressed, David, with the ease with which your father fixed my rifle. And some days later, I had reason to be grateful to him again. The prisoners were working near a swamp, cleaning out brush. As I walked past your father, he grabbed the revolver out of my holster and fired. Stand back, Cap! Back off! I got him covered! Here, put your gun down, Mobley. Wasn't me he shot at. Rattlesnake. Right in my path. Yeah, it's a big one, huh? Yeah. Blew his head right off. Here. Here's your gun. Get back to your work. All of you? Go on, back to work. You're late, Williams. You want to eat, you get here on time. All right, I won't eat. What was it this time? I didn't know I was late, that's all. Forgetting again, huh, Williams? 
Well, you gotta know it's Kruger. He got sick. I helped him into his bunk. He got malaria. We got a doctor here. He was on the floor. Nobody was around. It wasn't any of your business. Well, it was my business. That'll cost you your B grade. I got my B grade for saving a man from a rattlesnake. I lose it for helping a sick man. No back, John. Well, I ain't done nothing wrong. You fight every inch of the way, don't you? Stubborn and mean and sullen. You want to stretch in solitary? I ain't done nothing wrong. You're asking for it, Williams. All right, you think I got it coming? Go ahead, get it over with. You got me cornered. There's 200 convicts in back of me. If I give it to you now, I might as well resign my job. It's you or me, isn't it? Mobley. Yes, sir. Throw him in solitary. For how long, sir? Till he begs to come out. Got a minute, Cap? I'd like to see you. Sit down, Doc. How's Kruger? Oh, he'll be all right in a day or two. I'm here about Williams. He's still in solitary, huh? Yeah. He's stubborn. Positive that he's right. Tough combination to break. I'll break it. I've had tougher than him. But none of them could take more than seven days in solitary. Williams has been in there for 30. Doc, you take care of the infirmary. Let me handle the discipline. You'll be disciplining a corpse. He can't stay alive much longer. Let him say so. You know he won't. I'll have to go over your head, Captain. I'm not going to be responsible. Doc, what makes a fellow like him tick? It might be interesting to try and find out. If you want to order his removal, I I won't oppose it. I think you're making a mistake. I know you do. I'll write out the order. Doc said you wanted to see me. Yeah. Well, you learn anything in solitary? I didn't know I was supposed to learn anything. I thought I was put there because I helped Kruger. I put you in there for back John me in front of the men. I got a right to my say. You haven't heard my side of things, Captain. Go ahead, talk. I ain't one of them. I ain't no criminal. You pleaded guilty to murder. It was your still and you knew it was illegal. You're just as responsible for that murder if you pulled the trigger or one of your men did. I don't go along with that. Besides, they didn't prove that I did it. That's 30 years without proof, and that ain't fair. You got strange ideas, Williams, about what's fair and not fair. You see these? More letters. She says it isn't fair, too. Your wife, and she's right. It isn't fair the way you treat your family, refusing to see them and not answering their letters. Uh, we've been all over this before. You're a great man, Williams. 30 days in solitary and bread and water. You set a new record. Yeah, you can take it physically, but that's all you can take. You think it's because I want it this way? It's always what you want. Your rights. Don't you think they've got rights, too? You think I want my wife to see me looking like this? She's not ashamed. I just had a long talk with her. She's outside waiting. She's here? Yes. You ought to see her, Williams. You know you should. I'm going to give you 24 hours on the outside without change. I ain't a trusty, Captain. Will you come back after 24? Yeah. I'll come back. Wait here. I'll see that you get some other clothes. You remember this place, Marsh? This is where we came that day you got out of the Navy. I never thought I'd see it again, Maggie. I never thought I'd see you again. Well, now, where was I? Oh, yes, about the family. Well, well, John's going into real estate, and Mary Ruth's expecting in October, and Leon is serious about the Jennings girl. 
You remember little Sarah Jennings? Yeah, yeah. Marsh, you haven't asked me about my school. Aren't you interested? Yeah, I'm interested. Only one more year of college and I'll have my teaching certificate. Why didn't you do what I told you? Why didn't you get a divorce? I took you until death do us part. I'm the same as dead, Maggie. Under the law, a man stays away from his wife for seven years. The law counts him as dead. Well, the law put me away for 30 years. Please, Marsh, don't don't talk like that. It's no good, Maggie. You've got to be married. Really married. I am married. A woman's only half a person, Marsh. You're my other half. I can't be complete without you. Don't you understand? I'll be an old man by the time I get out. If I ever get out. Don't, don't push me away. I'm your wife. Convicts don't have wives. Don't you want me, Marsh? For one day a year? It's better than none. No, it's worse. It just helps keep you alive. It's no good when you can't breathe fresh air. It's better to be dead than you can't want for nothing. It's not true. You don't have to stop wanting or hoping. I'm in prison too, Marsh. Without you. Oh, Maggie, don't you see? If you want love, you've got to have a husband. A full-time husband. I want a child, Marsh. I, I want to stay alive. I'm so lonesome. No kid would pick a convict for a father, now would he? You're not always going to be a convict. It's not forever. Unless you make it that way. Two o'clock, Captain. No sign of Williams. You want the alarm sent out? He's got ten more minutes. I bet you Bucky makes it. You got a bet. Captain's office, move it. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, here's your buck. He's walking in now. The Navy Enlisted Men's Club in Tokyo is a pretty nice place where the men of the Navy can sit around and talk, read, or play cards on off-duty hours. It's a pretty nice place in another way, too. There's a box on the bar for the spare change of the sailors, and every penny that's dropped into it goes for the support of their private orphanage called the Home of Affection. Over 50 boys and girls of all ages are fed, clothed, and educated there. The orphanage has formed its own self-government, and the children are learning what it's like to live by democratic rules. With the help of the enlisted men of our Navy, they're meeting the world with a new hope, a new dignity, and pride. Such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of tomorrow. We pause now for station identification. The curtain rises on Act Three of Carbine Williams, starring Ronald Reagan as Marsh, Wendell Corey as Captain Peoples, and Gene Hagen as Maggie. David, I was a much relieved man. We 
your dad kept his word and returned to the prison. I sent for him right away when he came in. I had something to tell him. I sure want to thank you for the pass, Captain. And I want to thank you. You just made me a dollar. How's that? Never mind. I'm up on you to be great again. That mean I'll get a chance to work inside? Maybe. How about the blacksmith shop? Why? Well, I used to work in one. I got a hand for mechanics. Okay. Uh, just don't build any stills. No, sir. That's all, Williamson. Oh, uh, keep clean shave, huh? You looking for somebody, Captain? Yeah, you. This is leisure period. What are you doing in the bunkhouse? Oh, nothing. Nothing special. I just came from the post office. There was an outgoing letter. Thanks. Thanks for writing. Now, what you came to tell me? Yeah. Well, was that you just put under the blanket? Another letter? No, sir. Let me see it. It's personal. Nothing's personal in here. Give it to me. Well, you're quite a draftsman, aren't you? A detailed sketch of of a rifle. Shooting your way out of here, Williams, isn't as easy as shooting your way in. I wasn't figuring on busting out. What were you figuring? Well, I I got the idea when I was in solitary. After the sixth day, I thought I was a goner. No light, no air, no room to lay down. My back was killing me. I couldn't see how anybody could stand it a week. Then I got to thinking about them Hindus. You know, them people that sleep on nails. What did they do? Well... Well, did you ever try to think of two things at the same time? You can't do it. It's impossible. There ain't nobody can do that, Kevin. At first, I could only not think about the pain in my back for maybe two or three seconds at a time. But then it got longer and longer. Pretty soon, I could think away that pain for two or three, four hours at a time. This on the level. You try it sometime. You try to think about two things at the same time. Now, what I did, I tried to think about the good days when I was a kid. In the woods, hunting and fishing. When I wasn't shooting a gun, I was making one. Well, that started me to thinking about guns again, and I kept thinking about them. The more I thought about them, the less I thought about solitary. The guns were all around, all over the place, on the ceiling and the walls and floor. And I kept taking them apart, piece by piece, and then I'd put them together again. And then pretty soon I started experimenting on new ways to make guns. And that's it. This here drawing. That's a new kind of a gun there, Captain. But a drawing for a gun... We can't have that in here. You can't keep me from thinking about guns. What's the difference if I draw a picture of one? None, I guess. As long as you just make them on paper. Well, David, your dad kept on in our little blacksmith shop. We did a lot of our repair work in there, and your dad was a real expert. Among the other men in the shop were two prisoners named Fetter and Kruger. What's the matter, Marsh? We scare you? You almost went right through the roof. What are you so nervous about? Why, I didn't hear you come in. It's free time. How come you're still working? I just wanted to finish up. How come you're here? He forgot his tobacco. Yeah, I left it on the bench. Whose gun you working on? One of the guards. They told me it was jamming. Just needs cleaning. You're a pretty smart guy, Marsh. You're all right. What do you want? We've been watching, that's all. We're fixing to break out. Maybe you can help us. No, you can't break out. Didn't you learn nothing from what happened to the others last year? It ain't going to be like last year. We got everything figured. Do what you want. I'm on my own. That's up to you. I'm not going. Suit yourself. Only we're taking the guard's rifle. What good is it without bullets? 
Who says we don't have bullets? We got all we need to get us out of here. Only two rifles are a lot better than just one rifle. Put it back. That's my gun. Give me that gun. It ain't even finished. We've known about this for months. How you been working on every free second you can find. How you been hiding it all wrapped up in canvas under them wallboards. Let go of it. Give me my rifle. Hey, somebody's coming. It's Mobley. It's your last chance. You with us or not? No. Okay, let him have it. All right, now let's get out of here. Keep the rifle covered up with that canvas. What are you men doing? I, I forgot my tobacco, sir. We came back to get it. Don't you know you're not supposed to be... What's that you're carrying? Walk between us. I got a knife, Mobley. But... It's right up against your ribs. Yes, here's a rifle. Now keep walking toward the gate. And we're going to take you with us. And if anybody tries oh! to stop the guard in the tower... You all right, Mobley? Yeah. Yeah, I'm all... No, it's a break! Shout! told you, Williams, that you can make a gun out of paper. But you had to go by your own rules again. Look what happened. My gun didn't have nothing to do with a break. That Kruger was set on busting out for a long time. You sure you weren't in on it? Well, you don't think I knocked myself out with that wrench, do you? They didn't get the rifle away from me either. Captain, I've been working on it for two years now. I got to finish it. You're finished with it right now. I can't let you work in the smithy after this. Captain, please. Just, just look at the rifle. This is something new. Entirely new. Every automatic rifle has a piston that moves three and a half inches. Well, I'm trying to get this chamber in my rifle to move a tenth of an inch and still throw out the shell and load in another. Tenth of an inch? Well, that's not possible. Maybe not. But if I was to tell you that I took part of a fence post and an old axle out of a tractor and I made me a rifle with no lathe, no machinery of any kind except a file in my own hands, would you say that's possible? Please. Please, will you let me keep working on it? All right, Williams. I'll go along with you. Thank you. I won't let you down. Work on it in your free time. Thank you. You, uh, feeling all right, Captain? I was until you mentioned it. Keep your eye on him, Mowgli. What's that you were telling us about? About Marsh and a rifle? The letter's not from Marsh, Dad Williams. It's from Captain Peoples. I'll read it to you. Marsh is different, but I wonder if I have changed him as much as he has changed me. If anyone had told me yesterday that I'd ever turn my back while a prisoner made a gun in here, I'd have said they were crazy. Maybe I am crazy, but I'm beginning to believe Marsh is going to invent a new kind of gun. New kind of gun. Well, huh? there's more. Even if he doesn't, it will have served a useful purpose. He has finally found something that interests him. For the first time, I feel that Marsh, in his way, is helping himself out. That gun became your dad's life, David. He stopped fighting himself and the rest of the world. He didn't have time. He was fighting a piece of steel. He even mentioned time by that rifle. He filed a notch on the butt. A notch for every year he'd been working on it. Six notches. Six years. Now, that's a long time to keep a story like that secret. It finally leaked out. And I was called before the prison commission. First of all, people, how do you explain these newspaper headlines? Just look at this. Williams, chain gang murderer to shoot his own rifle in prison. And this... Warden approves gun-making by convict. Yes, I, I know about the headlines, sir. 
Despite efforts of warden people to keep it a secret, this newspaper learns that his pet prisoner, David Marshall Williams, serving a 30-year term for murder, will test his gun with real bullets tomorrow at the prison farm, now known as the Caledonia Skeeton Gun Club. Why should I listen to this bunk? Most of it's just lies, and you know it. Why should any of it be true? You've made this commission the laughing stock of the country. Who's running Caledonia? Me or those funny papers? When the looks of things, Williams is running it. As long as I'm warden, I'll run things my way. You gentlemen don't like it, you can get someone else. Because of your record, Captain, we'll overlook this outburst of temper. Let's have no more of this Williams nonsense. That's all, people. I let Williams make a gun because I honestly believe he had something new. I said that was all. He's outside. I brought him here. Williams here? I want you to let him show you his gun. Absolutely not. What's the matter? You afraid he'll convince you too? Well, I, for one, would like to take a look at this handmade rifle. All right. If it's a show you want, bring him in. Thank you. Marsh, come in. You've been getting away with murder down in Caledonia, Williams. But it's finished, understand? Well, so is my gun finished, sir. I just want to see whether it works. You don't think we're going to let you loose inside a prison with a gun and real bullets, do you? I was loose with a file and a hacksaw for six years, sir. Won't you even look at it? Here, you can check it any way you want to. Hmm. That seems very light for a rifle. There are 25 parts in it. I made them all by hand. And you're right, sir. It's the lightest 35 ever made. This piece of steel here weighed five pounds when it was an axle. Now it weighs a little less than 12 ounces. I hand-filed every ounce. It's good work, but that's not the question. There'll be no test. But I found out how to make a gun five pounds lighter than any other gun that's ever been made before. In time of war, that means a man could carry five pounds more essential equipment than he does now. Peoples, what guarantee is there that if this man is allowed to fire his gun, that he won't turn it on you and your men? He had the choice, and he didn't. That's no guarantee what he might do in the future. There's always the temptation of a break. Williams has served eight years and two months. If he escapes, I'll serve out his 30-year term. You realize what you're saying? I'll put it in writing. The gun was tested on the prison grounds, David. It did all your father said it would, and a lot more. Among the men who watched the test was a Mr. Joseph Mitchell of the Winchester Repeating Arms Company. Winchester, huh? That's a pretty big outfit. Well, I read about you in the paper, Williams, and I asked the captain if I could come down. Well, I sure hope you weren't disappointed. I saw enough to offer you a contract. I got a contract, Mr. Mitchell. <laughs> Twenty-two more years to go. Uh, you mind if I examine the rifle? Oh, sure. You're a short-stroke piston. Do you think you could use this in other types of guns? Yes, sir, I think I can. Well, I think you can, too. We'll take a gamble. You may have discovered something that no one else ever dreamed was possible, an automatic rifle with a floating chamber. We'd like to be in on it. Well, you'll have to talk to Cap here. He's my manager. <laughs> the gun's that good, huh? Well, Captain, a man that could make that with his two hands and nothing to go on, there's no telling what he could do if he keeps working on it. Oh, I'll keep working on it. Yes, sir. I'll keep working. Your grandpa kept working, too, David, until your father's case was reopened. The newspaper stories about the gun test didn't hurt, and I sent pretty strong letters to the governor myself. A few months later, your father received a full pardon from the governor. You know, David, it's a funny thing. The gun sent your father to prison, the gun freed him. You know how many patents he's got now? Lots of them, sir, but I, I don't know exactly. Sixty-eight. He's got them on pistols, machine guns, oh, all kinds of things. 
His greatest was the contribution he made to this gun right here, here in the case in the wall. This is the M1 carbine. That's the first carbine adopted by the United States Army in 40 years. You know how many of these went to war? Eight million. Well, David, that's what I know about your father. I can only tell you about him. I can't tell you how to feel. That's up to you. My dad, where'd he go? Where is he? Well, if you'll just walk out that door, David, I'm sure you'll find him out there on the steps waiting for you. Thank you. Thank you very much. David, over here, son. You get along all right with Captain Peoples? Yes, Dad. David, is is there anything you want to ask me? No, Dad, just, just give me your hand. Now let's go home. Our stars will return in a moment. An Indiana soldier by the name of Birch Bay, yes, that's his real name, carried a little excess equipment overseas with him to Germany for occupation duty. To be exact, he had $4 worth of vegetable garden seeds in his duffel bag. You see, Birch had been a star pupil in agricultural extension work and president of his 4-H club for two years. His military police company arrived for duty in the little German village of Hungen. Here, Bert sent out word to the children that he had a job for them. Ninety turned up, and they represented 45 different families. During his off-duty hours, Birch laid out a garden tract on the edge of town in 45 plots, each six by 20 feet. He parceled out the seeds and supervised the planting. An astonishing quantity of vegetables was raised, and something else was raised, too. The morale of all the people in the village who needed not only food for their stomachs, but sustenance for their spirits. Such acts by you and your friends today are shaping our world of tomorrow. Now, here's Mr. Cummings with our stars. And we invite them forward for a curtain call. Ronald Reagan, Wendell Corey, and Gene Hagen. Now, what's the word for next week, Irving? A thrilling drama of suspense, Ronnie. The exciting story of a man who falls in love with a charming, vivacious widow and then is forced to suspect her of murder. It's 20th Century Fox's absorbing a blueprint for murder. And as our stars, the lovely, talented Dorothy McGuire and that versatile actor, Dan Daly. Well, we'll be listening. Good night. Good night. Good night. See you again soon, we hope. Theater is produced by Mr. Irving Cummings. Our orchestra is under the direction of Rudy Schrager. This is Ken Carpenter inviting you to join us next week at this same time for another presentation of the Hollywood Radio Theater. Hollywood Radio Theater is a presentation of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.